Yeah, there was a part of me that was not too unhappy about the developments, I guess you could say. There was uh, all of me that was not too disappointed. CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. Hi, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin States in the West End of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, December the 29th. This is actually Wednesday, not like last week when I thought it was Wednesday, but it was really Tuesday. Uh, an interesting um, <laughs> an interesting end of the year, an interesting end of Virginia's football season, certainly a very weird last month or so. Um, for the Cavaliers, the the bowl game that was supposed to be today, which meant we should have recorded last night, obviously did not happen. COVID-19 um, thwarting Virginia's efforts to send Bronco Mendenhall and his, some of his assistant coaches, at least, out into um, their futures with uh, another victory. Instead, uh, that game did not happen. Virginia finishes its season, and we have lots to discuss. Uh, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First up in Loudon tonight, Justin Ferber is back on the podcast. How's it going, my friend? It's going. Um, the podcast didn't get canceled, you know. We're we're pressing on. So we're all kind of isolated, I guess, though. So that's good. At Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Charlottesville uh, managing editor Damon Dillman is back on the program. How's it going, my dude? Better once I find the unmute button. Uh yeah, things are going all right. Things are quiet, you know. Survived another holiday. So no bowl game to, to worry about today, as you mentioned. So at Damon Dillman on Twitter, not a whole lot to add to the conversation at the moment. <laughs> and Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional way banter. Um, yeah, like today when I'm watching the, the uh, uh, Tech Maryland bowl game and I'm like, man, I've really, I, I haven't watched a lot of Maryland. I always forget like how much they love that flag. And and then I had somebody who was like, no, I really think that that flag is great. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Um, but yeah, people in Maryland, they love that flag. Um, so no, we're not going to talk about how um, Maryland boat race tech in their bowl game. Um, though I'm sure that those of you listening would love to, dis- to just dive right into what happened to the Hokies today with that ugly emblem on their helmet. Um, I-, I think that I want to start here, Ferber. Um an unceremonious end to the Bronco Mendenhall era, um, much the way that his his resignation sort of came out of nowhere. This this you know canceled bowl game, a very fi- you know fizzle to the to the end of the thing. Um, in hindsight, how do we feel about it? Um, are you happy to sort of move forward? Um, are you sad you didn't get to watch one more oppor- you know one more chance for Bronco and company to to take the field? Didn't get to see Jason back calling plays. What's uh, what are your feelings about the uh, Fenway Bowl uh, getting canceled? Um, I on the, I would you know the first thing I'll say is that we all sort of have already turned the page in a sense. You know, um, 
how the staff gets filled out for the new coach is, is definitely in the forefront. The bowl game was sort of in the background um, since Tony Elliott was hired. With that being said, I, I'm really disappointed for the players, especially the seniors, their families, the coaches, um, that they didn't get one last shot when it seemed like they would. You know, when when the Fenway Bowl was announced, there was no indication that COVID was going to sort of do what it did over the weeks that followed. So I, it wasn't something on my radar anyway that it would, could be possibly canceled. And after last year, too, I mean, it's kind of disappointing um, to have this happen to them. And, you know, it all happened really fast. So I, I feel bad for those those guys. But ultimately, it kind of felt like the Bronco era ended when he resigned. Um I mean, th- this game would have been a nice capper if he won or something, but uh, ultimately it kind of felt like the, you know, it, it, the hay was in the barn and, and we were on to the next thing, you know, and um, bowl games are ultimately are exhibitions and, and it's cool to win them and all that. But, um, you know, and, and I was very much in the favor of them playing the game, you know, to get the practices and all the other good things that come with that. Uh but, you know, and it's disappointing to, to see it end with COVID again, but um, ultimately it kind of felt like that chapter had already been closed. I mean, you had coaches already taken other jobs. One coach already left <laughs> um, and, or two actually. Uh, and, you know, it's, so it felt like we were kind of just like stumbling across the finish line, but it was already sort of, the race was over. I, I think that there's an interesting sort of two two-way street here in the sense that I think for a lot of fans, like the idea of some of those players getting the chance to play their last games, right? Um, certainly, you know, guys that they had seen play for a number of years, you never want to give that up. And at the same time, there's certainly a, a feel of like, m- you know, moving toward the future. And it, and I think you're right. It, it, it sort of did feel like from the time that Broncos stepped down and just the weirdness around all of it, um, not just sort of the randomness it felt like of, of the decision or in the time frame or excuse me, the timing of the decision and the announcement and stuff, but then also the, the subsequent, you know, next week or so uh, as, you know, the coaching search wound its way um, through silliness and whatnot. Damon, obviously not covering a bowl game today um, is not, I mean, I think we all, we all like covering games while we get into it, but um, it certainly seems like, from a storyline standpoint, much of the, you know, to Ferber's point, that, that hay was in the barn. Um, are you sad to not to not have some, you know, more Bronco material? You know, we'll, we'll, we won't hear from him again. We won't get to, <laughs> we won't get to interview, you know, any of those assistant coaches um, for whom media was always just so much fun. <laughs> um, but are you sad to not get to, to cover one more, you know, Mendenhall press conference or so? No, I'm not too despondent about it. I'm not too broken up. Uh, I, uh, I guess when was it two weeks ago, the last time I was on here, I was the one who said that they probably should have just opted out as soon as Bronco had made the decision to, um, to step down. Now I will concede that everybody else's point and, and Ferber just kind of reiterated it about the, the last opportunity for the seniors to play. That's a completely fair point, And I completely respect that, but from a bigger picture, long-term perspective, I saw no real benefits to, to um, play in this game. And, and ultimately I know there was, there was a storyline about, well, Jason Beck's going to get a chance to audition. He's going to get a chance to call plays. Well, we've since learned that that was kind of a moot point. Anyway, it was just going to be him going through the motion. Not, not that he wouldn't have given it his every best effort, I'm sure, but 
ultimately he would have just been going through the motions before coming back to an office that already had boxes packed up and one foot out the door because he was not sticking around regardless as we have since learned. Uh, the one thing we do miss out on by not having a bowl game today and not having the subsequent availability afterward, the post-game interviews is we don't get to talk to Brendan Armstrong today and get an idea if he's made a decision yet, where things stand with him and the NFL. That was kind of, to me, that was of more value almost than the game itself today from uh, covering the team perspective uh, is getting a chance to talk to Brendan and seeing if he has a decision to make. And, and, you know, so that could all start to move forward in whichever direction he's leaning because we still haven't really gotten an indication one way or the other from that one. So, but yeah, I mean, I think the storylines now are all about the Tony Elliott era getting started and how he's going to fill out this coaching staff, how they're going to approach recruiting and the transfer portal and some of the things I wrote about this week. And all of those things were basically in a holding pattern until they got this bowl game out of the way. And as we saw on Monday, uh, things started coming down the pike pretty quickly once that game was canceled. And yeah, so we basically we don't have the bowl game holding up progress anymore holding up uh the the new era the new regime and mm -hmm. and so these things can kind of kind of really the, these balls can really get rolling now yeah i, I and like it did it feel it. like that you know when the game was canceled it was like immediately like okay this is happening and this is happening and this guy's leaving yeah it's like the levee was raised and all the water right. came, yeah. uh, came yeah. gushing out yeah and i i likened it the other day to somebody to um you know, when it, like when when there's, you know, childbirth, right, is like once the once the process starts, man, you know, you, you, you had some calm before there. But, man, once it gets going, I, I think for a lot of fans, the idea that, you know, first off, they were able to announce three, you know, assistant coaches being retained in Marcus Hagan's uh, Garrett Touche and Clint Centum. That was good because to that point, there had been just a whole bevy of kind of bad news. Right. You had guys going in the portal, guys who were hanging out in the portal. You know, it seemed pretty obvious that some of those guys were going to be leaving. You know, Olu Uluwatimi to Michigan, um, Bobby Haskins to USC, Noah Taylor to Carolina. Um, it, it, that getting all that out of the way helped in some ways too, because you sort of you're, you're able to sort of focus forward. But having those assistant coaches back, um, you know, moving forward with some of the staffing decisions that we had heard about but had not been announced, I think that sort of gets you next, you know, to the next step, which is. The names that you haven't heard yet, right? The 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 rumors certainly point to a handful of uh, of guys, and I think like for example, you know, um, um, it seems like there are certainly guys that that Tony has his eye on for his coordinator positions. One of them at least has been named publicly. The the other it seems like is a little bit off the board. Um, I, I kind of feel like Tony's one of those guys who wants to do his work in silence, and then you sort of get an announcement. He's not a, you know, you're not going to see him out on Twitter you know, bragging about how, you know, oh, we got a, you know, we got a great guy lined up for DC or whatever. Um, but I also think too, is that if you look at the time frame between now and national signing day, there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that has to get done. He not only has to get his staff out there, he's got a, you know, there's the portal as Ferber mentioned earlier, there's a lot that has to go into it. I, I feel like in the big scheme of things, we can, once we have a, once, once the coaching staff is, is, is done, you know, we can we'll, we'll be able to glean a little bit from not just sort of what the expectation should be for this group in terms of recruiting, but also, you know, what's it going to look like on the field? And that's not to say that that Tony and company can't change some things up, given maybe 
you know, various experiences and um, tendencies and stuff in the past. But you get a good sense of like, if this is the person that he sees for this position, well, this is why. Um, I, I have to say, you know, Virginia retaining Marcus Hagens was probably the most foregone conclusion of any of, of his coaching hires. Um, it, it just it, it boggles the mind why anyone wouldn't want to do that. Um, you know, Damon caught up with a couple of the um, the signees to talk about that. And certainly Biscuit is a guy who is going to help you in a variety of different ways. I mean, he's obviously very good at his job. He's, he's got a connection with the fan base because of his playing days and just sort of the guy he is. And then also there is a lot of talent and wide receiver on this team. And I think that if, you know, if that had not happened for UVA, maybe things play out very differently in terms of the portal. And I almost wonder if, if Tony getting Biscuit, you know, I mean, I think he had some other opportunities. I think that's fair to say, um, you know, basically making sure that, you know, he got that commitment. That might be the biggest one that he could get this month, right? Outside of Brennan, um, because of the number of guys that you could have had directly impacted, not just recruits, but also current players. As we look forward uh, and we start to kind of, you know, look at look ahead, I, I, I think for me, the biggest question and I, and I want to pose this to you forever. The biggest question to me is in terms of scheme, in terms of, you know, he said the other, you know, in his press conference, you know, you want to stop people and score points, score points and stop, you know, stop makes and get stops or whatever. Like that's all well and good, but what's it look like schematically? We know what his offense is going to be. What do you want to see out of his defense? What, what, what's your biggest, what's your, is that your biggest question at this point? You know, what's the, what's he going to do on the defensive side of the ball? Or is there another kind of bigger unknown for you that you, you want to see sort of get hashed out here in the next few weeks? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's the defensive side of the ball. Um, just because there's, like, they can hire, you know, like, Des Kitchen's name's out there for offensive coordinator, right? But, like, Tony Elliott comes with an offensive scheme. You know, he called plays at Clemson. So, you know, they're, you could assume that they're going to run what he runs or something similar, right? Um and like with Bronco coming to UVA when he did, like, you know, you can just kind of assume that he's going to bring his defense. Um, and ultimately he brought everything. Um, I think like who you hire has a big impact on, you know, like what your scheme is going to be. Uh, certainly it's going to have a huge impact on personnel, what kind of guys you look for in the transfer portal, what guys currently on the roster, like have a place in the new plan. Um like with Bronco, you're probably going to have some guys that didn't play a lot under Bronco elevated to more prominent roles if the, if the scheme is considerably different, you know, just because they're better fits for what they're trying to do. Right. So I think that's huge. And I, I mean, honestly, if I had my choice, I would probably want Tony to go with somebody who's got some experience on that side of the ball calling plays it's on that side of the thing. You can't be good without that. Um, but he's an offensive guy. He, it seems like most of the guys he's, you know, everybody he's retained except for Clint Sintum is on the offensive side of the ball. Most of the re reported hires are on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so I, I think you probably need like a defensive coordinator to kind of come in and have like a top down. This is what we're going to run. This is how it's going to look approach and then fill out the rest of the coaching staff based on that. Um, and, you know, obviously Tony's got to make those calls. But yeah, I think that's clearly the most important thing right now. Um, and I, I would expect we're going to get some word on who the guy's going to be at some point in the near future. Um, also, with Jason Beck leaving, um, what does the passing game sort of coaching staff look like? 
Um, obviously, Higgins will probably stay in the wide receiver role, I would imagine. Um, but, like, you know, what do you do with your quarterback, coach, passing game coordinator, co-offensive coordinator, whatever you want to end up calling the person? Because, you know, if he hires Kitchings as his offensive coordinator, he's another running game background guy like Tony Elliott. So um, you might need a strong developer in the passing game or somebody that can come up with some unique ideas um, in the passing game to kind of complement that. And I, I'm, I'm confident that they're going to get good coaches. So uh, we'll see how it shakes out. But yeah, defense, I guess, first at the moment um, in terms of what's the biggest un, unresolved issue. Yeah. Damon, you wrote a, um, a really good sort of comprehensive piece about the, the sort of unanswered questions or the things that were sort of facing, um, you know, the pressing questions facing Tony and his staff as it comes together and as they move forward. I'm curious as you, you know, in, in after writing that is that, you know, you led off with, you know, Brendan Armstrong and sort of his status. Um, I'm curious in, in hindsight, is that to you the biggest one? You, I don't think you ranked them per se. Um, you know, that wasn't necessarily ranking. That was just yeah. kind of the one that I thought we would get the answer to first. Right. Makes sense. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably why I let off with that one. But I totally agree with everything Ferber just talked about with the defensive side of the ball. And I wrote about this in that piece is just there. Even as we like we've been te- we've all been texting back and forth. We've been trying to figure out what direction. To, even when you try to connect dots to try to come up with defensive coordinator scenarios. It's been really difficult to do because Tony Elliott's history has always been at Clemson and the way things have unfolded at Clemson over the last couple of weeks with he and Venables both leaving at the same time and Venables actually being the guy going out the door first. And I, and, and I think it's fair to say that Oklahoma is a more attractive opportunity than UVA so guys that that combination of him being the first one out the door and going to such a high profile school uh it, that's an attractive opportunity so if there's going to be any cherry picking going on with that clemson staff venables is probably the guy who gets first dibs um or got first dibs maybe so beyond that it's been really difficult difficult to connect dots and figure out who it ju- who it might be uh, that, that runs this defense. But to me, that's the big question. I agree with what Ferber was talking about because I feel like this defensive coordinator hire is going to set the table for the entire over upheaval and overhaul of this defense going into next season. You'd like to see the defensive coordinator be a veteran coach, someone who's been a defensive coordinator. You'd like to see, the, as Ferber said, someone who's called defensive plays. If it's someone with head coaching experience, that would be even better just for the overall overarching staff because as things stand right now, there's not a lot of high-level experience on this staff beyond Elliott as the offensive coordinator and uh, assistant head coach at Clemson. So ideally, if you can find a veteran defensive coordinator who's been a head coach, that would be an ideal hire in my opinion, because that I, I just, who who's out there who fits that description has been the question and uh, that, the, that would be willing to come here. And they, I mean, you can wonder if they could afford someone with that kind of a, that kind of a profile, but it all starts with that hire because you assume that defensive coordinator is probably going to have at least a certain amount of autonomy when it comes to running the defense. You assume that defensive coordinator will be the one who dictates what kind of scheme they run they're going to be a four, three, three, four, how multiple they'll be, how versatile they'll be. Um, which again, 
once that's identified, then you kind of get a better sense of, okay, these are the guys they may look at in the portal. These are the guys they may go after in recruiting. These are the, these are the profiles that they'll be looking for at these positions. Similarly to how when Bronco came in and they transitioned from four, three to the three, four, and that first year or so there was a lot of square pegs and round holes because there were a lot of guys who recruited to play in a four, three, that they were trying to make work in a three, four. So yeah, I think, uh, I realized Brennan might've been the first one I wrote about, but I do think that the, the bigger question long-term for this program is what's going to happen over these next couple of weeks with the defense for all these reasons we just kind of laid out on the table. Yeah. I mean, all right, let's, let's take this uh, in, in two different places, right? On the one hand, I think, and maybe this is the, the 10 full hat portion of the program today. Um, is it, all right, do we agree that he thought the Goodwin dude was coming with him? Like, I kind of feel like he thought when he took the job that that's probably what was going to happen. I mean, does anybody, what are, what are our feelings on that, that Wes was going to come with him? I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case, but I also yeah. feel like he probably had open communication with Dabo, who might have told him straight up that he was going to promote Goodwin to the defensive coordinator position. Um, and I'm not and, because, because Venables was gone before he was. Right. So like right, he might right. have been like, dude, I'm going to promote him here. So like, right. don't even waste your time. Right. And and for all we know. Right. Um, and, and the reason let me let me be really clear about this. I'm only I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to, to talk through this. It's, I'm certainly not implying and nor should you come to the conclusion that I mean otherwise that like he's caught flat footed or anything like that. I just think that it was natural for him to look at at Goodwin and say, like, hey. He, you know, he'll be my he'll be my my defensive coordinator. His name and did I, come up pretty quickly, pretty quick. When, you know, when he took the yeah. job. And um, and to your point about venerables, like he was, you're right. He had already left for Oklahoma at that point, and because you know it took a couple days, you know, obviously for for Tony to take the Virginia job. So so Dabo had time to sort of look look around, survey the landscape, figure out what he was going to do. Um, I I think that the way I think it played out is that I do think he thought. Hey, he's going to be my guy. And then either to Ferber's point that there was a conversation with Dabo where he basically said, well, like I'm going to offer him the job here. Um, or that just sort of what developed after Tony said yes to UVA. Um, but I, I do wonder having watched that defense, like, um, you know what that could have looked like. Obviously that's not going to happen, but I do think that maybe one of the reasons why it's taking a little bit of time is maybe, you know, the first bullet in that gun, so to speak, right. The first shot he was going to take, um, you know, that, that went in a different direction pretty quick. That's the nature of the game, right? Guys, you, you, you know, you want to hire, um, you know, the looper guy, for example, from Missouri certainly looks like he's somebody he talked to early on, looked like that was probably going to work out. And then Texas got involved. Um, but I think this is just how this kind of stuff goes too. Exactly. It's just sort of fluid. Remember exactly. when Mike got hired as the head coach? It took him forever to get an offensive coordinator. Right. Because he yep. went through like a ten like ten dudes and then yeah. ended up with laser, which was a pretty good hire, I think. Yeah. But yeah. And and that's a really good point because like Bronco came and his whole staff came with him, right? Um, this one's different and certainly Yeah, we normally don't have to go through this. Because even with Mike, he brought like yeah, he brought a bunch of his guys staff. with him because he was a former, you know, <laughs> at least at the, you know, he's a former head coach. So he had a staff, you know, and so there are still obviously positions that are open, guys that are, you know, uh, that are coaching at other at other schools who are probably, you know, in talks, you know, to to be whoever 
Um, so I think there's definitely the sort of like what if version of this, right? The other side of it to me is, um, you know, clearly Tony Allen has been around the game for enough for long enough that he has contacts, but because he has not been a head coach, you don't have those direct, you know, when we, so when Damon's talking about like connecting dots, it's a little harder because you, you don't know, like, He's not like a oh he coached with so and so who also right. you know what I mean. Whereas now you're talking about like people, guys he might people, know. Yeah, people don't realize like I don't I've noticed that people don't realize because they're just connecting him to Clemson coaches or whatever, and that there is certainly something to that, right? Um, but like these guys, a lot of these guys know each other from like coaching conventions and different things. Like it's not like he doesn't know any other coaches. <laughs> like in college right. football yes yes exactly because people if people act like that they're like well he's only really been at clemson so it's like and it's like well that doesn't that just means it's going to be harder for us to connect with us because <laughs> it doesn't mean he doesn't know anybody right um, like apparently the, the kitchens dude is like a good friend of his but he never coached with him so like you know we would never that wouldn't be on our radar because we don't know him right right and so I look at it and I think like there obviously are guys that he that he is, you know, whether or not, you know, guys he directly knows who he wants to hire for specific positions or he's done, you know, the the conversation you talk to somebody, oh, well, you know, so and so and so and so he's gotten, you know, he's talked to people he, he, he trusts. He's gotten, you know, recommendations. He's probably had some interviews and some conversations and stuff. I, I think that one of the problems with the last month is <laughs> it felt like. Because it was, a, there were some things that were in a holding pattern. It felt like nothing was happening, and for a lot of fans, I think, especially once the bowl game was canceled, all right, it's time to move forward. And I think for a lot of folks, it would have been really nice if they could have not just said the three that were retained, but then the rest of the staff. But there are other teams that are still playing, and there's a lot that goes into that. Um, I'll be honest. After signing day, I really thought that like after signing day there might be some movement, and when there wasn't, I was a little bit surprised because typically that's the time frame when a lot of coaches move. Um, and I, I, I did not think that there were going to be a whole lot of guys for Virginia staff. Um, actually let's, let's do that. Damon, were you surprised that those were the three guys retained? Did you think there would be more? Um, did you think other guys had a better shot? What were your thoughts about the, the assistants who were retained? I think the only surprise, I, I think, I don't think there was any evidence that it would happen. I just think a lot of it was wishful thinking and hopeful thinking that Beck would also be on the list. Just yeah. given connecting dots. <laughs> yeah. Again, just given the way the offense performed this year and given his track record throughout the course of his time here of developing quarterbacks. I mean, everybody keeps throwing around how two court, the first two quarterbacks, Ben Curtin, Bryce Perkins are in the NFL now. And then Brennan Armstrong's, breaking all these records and looks like he'll get an opportunity at some point to play in the NFL as well. So I think a lot of people were hopeful. Uh, and I think a lot of people thought it made sense that, that Beck would also be on that list. But in terms of the three guys who were retained, uh, Hagen's uh, is an obvious one. He's, he's, you know, for all the reasons we talked about earlier, given his connections to the school, to the community, to the program, the way he's developed receivers Sintem being a UVA guy, I don't think it's a surprise that he he's only been here, what, two years? So and he has the flexibility, too, of if he's been a linebackers coach in the past. So he's right. got that flexibility of if they find someone else that they prefer as the D line coach, he can shift to to linebackers. So he has that kind of versatility. And then and then 2J, uh, I thought it was telling that as everything as Rome was burning, so to speak back here in Charlottesville, as everything was going sideways <laughs> at the McHugh center, 
in that week or whatever it was, it felt like a year and a half between when Bronco stepped down and when Elliot was hired and then signing day. Um, I thought it was interesting that 2J was one of the guys. I thought it was telling that he was one of the guys who was still out there recruiting, that he was still, uh, he made an in-home visit with one of the guys in the transfer portal in the midst of all of that. Um, I thought that was telling. And I, we all know the reputation he has as a recruiter. Uh, what is it? The woo factor. We know how highly you talk to these, these recruits and they just gush about how much they like 2J. We know how much of an emphasis Elliot's going to put on recruiting. Um, and he's developed an offensive line. I mean, that was the, I, I remember when Bronco first got here and he, like the thing he would always come back to is we've got to develop an offensive line. We've got to develop more depth in that room. We've got to develop more contributors in that room. And that's what they've been able to do. That's what 2J has been able to do. Um, yeah, it's, it's it, it, amid all the uncertainty, some of these other guys, Olu, uh, Haskins, Bissinger jumped to other schools, the way it sounds, those moves might've happened regardless of the coaching change. Um, Swoboda is still up in the air. We'll see what happens with him. It's not really clear what's going on with Ryan Nelson either. Uh, he's not in the transfer portal, but he can come back if he wants to, there's been no indication in either direction with him, but you have to credit 2J for the job he's done since he's been here. And so, yeah, I'm not surprised that he's sticking around either. Uh, and I think it's, I think it's an encouraging move that kind of continuity, um, with so many young offensive linemen in that room now who are kind of the next generation who will be supplemented with whoever I'm sure they'll find, they'll find, or at least try to find players in the portal. But, but long story short, no, I think the only big surprise, I don't know if it's really a surprise or it was just kind of what people were kind of hoping and expecting that Beck would also be on that list. Um, I don't think anybody would have complained if Beck was on that list. I'll put it that way too. So, so yeah, I think that's the one thing I would point to. Ferber, it's a little eye-opening to me that an offensive-minded coach who clearly is going to be super involved on that side of the ball, if not be the actual play caller, I think we all expect that to be a thing, that he he chose to retain a defensive coach without a defensive coordinator in in you know in line, right? Without somebody announced. Now, maybe it's one of those deals where it's one spot. But you would think that most defensive coordinators, you know, for example, like if somebody's going to take a job, they might want to bring their guy, right? And I'm not saying that Clint Sintum shouldn't be on staff. Certainly to your point, um, you know, the idea that he's coached linebackers in the past. So it's, he has some flexibility there. If, you know, if, if the defensive coordinator in question has a guy, he wants to be the defensive line coach or what have you. Um, so I was a little bit surprised to see him retained. I, I think for me, the bigger excitement is 2J without an eye. Now I'm not going to get on a podcast and start you know, airing a bunch of stuff. All I'm going to tell you is that well, there's enough. You know, uh, <laughs> I just got it. No, I'm just. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I I just. I'll just save it for when UVA plays Syracuse. In the fall. <laughs> I just think it's really interesting that you know TJ has he has been on you know obviously a Virginia you know a Virginia coach for a long time now, and he certainly has to Damon's point developed an offensive line, but at times I think he did it somewhat handcuffed because of Anai and Anai's ways. And I think that ultimately much of, to Damon's point just a minute ago about guys who were probably going to leave. I think a lot of those dudes kind of just wanted a different, you know, bit of scenery just because some of the experiences that they've had, that's not to say that, you know, it wasn't good right overall, but sometimes, you know what, you have a chance. You you might want to just live a little bit differently for a little while. Right. 
Um, but I do, I am really excited to see what Tuje can do without uh, a nice sort of at the, the helm of the thing. Um, because I've always thought he's a, he, he, of the, of the Bronco assistants, I thought he was by far the most personable. I thought he was by far, you know, the one who fit, who f- seemed to fit the sort of college football landscape that I knew yeah. before Bronco. He feels up. like the most, like a power five, like offensive yes. line coach, right. like, right. All, like Agreed. assistant coach sort of person. Yeah. And he was staff. one of the, and he was one of the coaches, he and his family. I've said this about Beck too, but, but uh, it definitely applies to two J. They were the ones who, as a family on a personal level, seemed to embrace being a part of this local community. Uh, I mean, 2J was out there retweeting anyone who asked, who was like saying (laughs) they should keep him. So I think he wanted to stay or knew he was staying, you know? But I feel like, you know, doing it without an eye um, is going to be really interesting because I'm I'm curious to see what 2J is like when, you know, he's kind of um, unleashed, so to speak, from, from that, uh, that, uh, situation i think it's a good thing for these guys too like i mean it certainly probably wasn't the way that they anticipated it um but like yeah for example like um atuai is going to washington state how's going to vanderbilt you know i'll just pick those two guys you know i think it's good for them for their career to get out of the bronco diversify yeah because then you become pigeonholed as a Bronco guy. Yeah, that's true. And then it's like, oh, that guy, you know, he just kind of goes wherever Bronco goes. Like, we're not going to get him or well, he's not going to come here. Or, he's not a fit here. Um, so I think ultimately it's good for them. That's why the back move to Syracuse is kind of weird to me. I, I don't I feel like he could have probably benefited from like going to a better situation um, because that coach could get fired next year. Um, but hey, that's just me. I mean, I'm on the outside, so. And I also think too, you know, because of the the we talked about scheme earlier, right? I mean, I'm not saying that Beck couldn't adapt, you know, but he's coached in a nice system. Mm-hmm. To ask him to be be the quarterback coach uh, for Tony Elliott's system, you know, I I can understand why both sides might look at that and go, I don't know if that's the right idea. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think like. I got, I got to have like the caveat here. Like, obviously you have to give him credit for how the quarterbacks have performed, which has been excellently, but being a quarterback coach. And this is something I was talking about with Dave the other day is not always just like teaching the technique of playing quarterback. It's also like teaching how to play in the scheme in that scheme, right. In that office. So like, so like maybe he wouldn't, I don't know. I don't want to like demean the guy, but like maybe things wouldn't have been as smooth with him under a different quote, like a different coach. No, you know what I mean? Fair. Like, I think that's yeah. totally fair. Or like maybe Tony's like, I have a different guy that's going to do things yeah, the way I want to do them, you know, Tony's which I, very, I, yeah. I, my suspicion is that's the scenario that played out there is that Tony has someone that he has in mind for that spot. And uh, yeah, back just didn't fit what he was looking for. So it's kind of you part ways. Yeah, because like I said, it's not like he went to like Alabama. <laughs> you know, he followed a night of Syracuse where they have a coach that barely is hanging on to his job. So, um, but I also like this is one of the things that I had this conversation before Tony Elliott was hired with somebody. Um, I said they were like, well, whoever it is, just make them keep Beck and Hagens. And I think maybe the person said 2J, I can't remember. Um, and I was like, no, I was like, even with Hagen's, I, I would say no to that. Like, obviously, like there's people that we think it would be smart for them to keep. 
But when you hire a head coach that's getting paid more than $4 million a year and it's their program, they pick the coaches, period, all of them. Like this whole like we're going to hire you, but we're going to tell you who to keep. Like that's stupid. And people that accept those jobs usually fail. Um, Like and and I think that he kept these coaches because he wants them. Let's not forget. Let's not forget the last time the UVA administration (laughs) made some. uh, Right. Some friendly suggestions about who should be on the coach. Right. I mean, well, imagine, imagine being Tony Elliott, somebody who's sought after, who's turned down other jobs and being like, Hey, you know, we want you to come to UVA, but you have to keep like three or four coaches from this six and six team coaches that you don't know from different schemes. Dude, you've never met. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I think it's like a slam dunk to hire Marcus Higgins. Like that's not a, that's not, Right, right. You just science. mean that the coach should. But at the same the time, if he came in, and, if he came in and was like, "I don't get a good vibe from this dude," like, or we're like, "I want to bring in my own guy," I would be like, "That's your call." Like, you know. Yeah, if exactly. he's like, "Hey, like, Taj Boyd's gonna be my wide receivers coach," and you're like, "Oh, I mean, yeah, listen, I might be I, like, I wouldn't hey, trade like, I strongly for... recommend that you keep this guy, but I'm not right. gonna force you to do it, and I don't right. think they did. Obviously, no, I think that's I think that's totally fair. Like on the one hand, you're like, "Yeah, the coach should be able to to hire who he wants," and at the same time, you're like, "But." You know, Marcus Higgins is a heck of a coach, and unless you have a dude lined up, you should try to. And there's a reason that Marcus has has kept his job through three staffs. Like now, you know, he was he was retained by Bronco, and now he's been retained by Tony. But like, yeah, I mean, like, I think that's kind of a no brainer. But let him make that call, right? You can't be like you have to take these coaches if you take this job. That's stupid. Um, yeah, you're just saddling him with people that he might not even want. Um, yeah, ultimately, so. you know, you, your your job, if you're, you know, the athletic director is to hire the coach, your job is not to micromanage the coach from the outset, otherwise hire a different coach. Um, but I agree with you. I think, you know, on some level, like it, it, it certainly did feel like at the time, like, oh, there are the, there are these coaches who are going to be retained. Right. Yeah. Um, but that was much more of a function of if you're Tony Elliott, you probably want these guys. And it's, and it's interesting the way that this sort of played out that, you know, he keeps of, of us, of the staff, he keeps one who kind of felt like the least Bronco guy of the Bronco guys. Right. Not to say, I mean, listen, I know Tuje. I mean, I'm not trying to say like he wasn't a Bronco guy. I'm just saying like Tuje to, to our conversation earlier, he just felt like the most, you know, normal football coach of that group. Right. And then he keeps two other former UVA players who, have coached with other coaches, you know, on other coaching staffs, in addition to the one that, you know, preceded this one. So I think it's interesting that those are the guys that they kept. Um, and I, and I feel like it makes a lot of sense in hindsight that those would be the guys. I think I personally would have loved to have seen Beck have the chance to call plays, you know, would there yeah. be any passes to offensive linemen? Um, and I, and I too. Thought, well, if you honestly, read Bronco's comments, he might have had more to do with that than we originally thought. <laughs> um, I, you know, I personally thought it, it would probably be in, in Jason's best interest to sort of get away too. Um, but I also understand that, like, if he's if he's looking at it, you know, he goes, he becomes the quarterbacks coach, what have you. Anai's not going to do this, but forever, right? So I mean, he's probably in yeah. line to be that offensive coordinator after Anai retires in a system that is the system he's used to running, right? He would have to go and um, you know be a quarterback coach in, in in another system. So it makes some sense why he would follow Anai and then try to be the offensive coordinator. And then you can think about it from that standpoint. Then he's he's running his own stuff as opposed to running Anai's stuff, and that changes the calculus for him in terms of jobs. You know, maybe maybe he coaches at Syracuse until the end of time. I don't know. 
Um, but maybe he also becomes an offensive coordinator, you know, gets that experience, and then he's able to go and um, be an offensive coordinator somewhere else. I don't think you were going to hire him as an offensive coordinator without, despite his success at UVA, without him having the chance to be, you know, an offensive coordinator somewhere else. Like people weren't going to bring you in, right? You're going to have to have had that experience before you can really do that. So it makes sense to me. Um, all right, last thing before we wrap up this week. Um, I, I don't, it's like, it's the end of the year and I, and I don't, I don't want to do this because it's like cliche and whatnot, but it, it, it does seem meaningful to, to close out, you know, the last podcast we're going to do for 2021 and at least have some conversation about the year that was, um, obviously there's a lot, there's a lot that happened this year, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like a lot happened in a lot of ways. I mean, you had, you know, a coaching change for one. Um, which is going to set the tone for years to come of the football program. You know, could set the tone for years to come for the athletic department, depending on how that goes, how fundraising goes with the master plan and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, Virginia basketball and what happened at the end of last season and then going into this season is sort of the uncertainty that Tony Bennett and his folks face as the new year approaches, which is something Damon tackled um, earlier today. Um, I just, I guess I, I want to talk about 2021 real quick. Um Damon, let's start with you. In the pantheon of things that happened in 2021, what stands out to you the most uh, about Virginia sports? And and then to be clear, we though we focus on football and basketball, you can you know I'm going to let you kind of go wherever you, your heart wants on this. But what was what were some of the the biggest moments? Is it Tony Elliott being the new head coach uh, on the football side, or what, what's what's the biggest story of the year? I mean, that's kind of you don't want to fall for the into the trap of recency bias, but that feels like a pretty significant development is uh, what has happened with this football program over the course of the last month, basically since uh, that tech game kicked off. I mean, I know things weren't exactly trending in the right direction prior to, but but yeah, the way that game unfolded and then the fallout from that. And I know Bronco says it wasn't a part of his decision, but it at least had to get the, the gears turning in his head, right? If that game goes in a different direction, I don't know if he's pondering these things the way he ultimately did. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I was brainstorming a little bit about this earlier today, uh, maybe do, writing something later in the week about this very subject. And some of the things that I was thinking about were obviously women's swimming and uh, men's lacrosse and the national titles are significant, right? Um, it's always big when you can win a national championship and where Lars has that lacrosse program now is like, it's, it's back where you expect Virginia men's lacrosse to be one of the elite programs in the country, uh, the baseball team, um, and the way they turned things around mid season and wound up in Omaha again. And so, and the way they did it so much of the dramatics, so many dramatic, uh, games in, in the, uh, the postseason. There was uh, the Brandon Neek game. There was the Devin Ortiz game, the Kyle Teal game. Uh, those are all pretty significant things. The way the basketball team has kind of stumbled back to earth a little bit between the way last year unfolded, uh, Beekman hits the big shot at the ACC tournament, and then they get pulled off the, out of the tournament because of COVID, and they're one and done. Then that whole team basically disappears uh, by and large, and now here we are with this, this kind of – for lack of a better way of putting it, mishmash uh, team that they've put on the floor this year, and they still haven't been able to figure out how to make those parts work. But, but I still think, I think when we look back, I don't know, five years from now, the most significant development 
of 2021 will be what has happened with this football program over the course of the last month. Um, Bron- the Bronco era coming to an end. Um, and it, we'll find out five years from now, we'll have a much better idea of whether Tony Elliott was the right guy for the job. And if he and Carla in tandem are the right team to get this program where she she probably rightfully thinks it needs to be. She, as, as we've said before, she knows what it looks like. She knows what it looks like at a big time SEC program like Georgia. And that's where she's trying to get this program. And she's trying to convince people within the university and the university community of what it's going to take to, to make, get football where it needs to be. And the next, the, the, the biggest thing she could have to back her up as she's trying to make those arguments is to have a winning program on the field. And we'll find out if Tony Elliott's the right hire, but yeah, that to me is the most significant development of the past year. And We'll see how it all kind of shakes out over the course of these next three, four, five years. So tune in to episode 797. No, <laughs> um, I, I kind of, I mean, I have to agree. I, I, you know, as I was kind of thinking about the question today, you know, the, the idea of like where, you know, lacrosse and baseball are right now because of, you know, where they went this year and sort of where things are trending and, and that kind of thing um, is certainly up, you know, it's certainly up there. It certainly is, you know, you know, Virginia's got Olympians, you know, in, in the swimming department. And it's just it's just one of those things where it I, I, I hate to be one of these people, Ferber, but it does kind of shine a light on sort of like, you know, to to, to uh, Damon's point just a second ago about, you know, Tony Bennett and, and company sort of stumbling back to earth a bit. Um, it sort of does kind of shine a light on the fact that like Virginia sports does a lot of really good things the football team just kind of needs to continue to to trend in the right direction and for a long time you know we thought bronco had had them there and it's when it's interesting now to look back on that which i think is this is this is probably the the defining thing i'm left feeling after bronco's decision to step down and, and the subsequent coaching change and everything is that i look back on it and i go you know it felt a lot better in the moment maybe than it looks under new light you know, that's not to say that there weren't some highs. There certainly were. And it doesn't mean there wasn't progress. There was. But it definitely, if I look back at it now and I think, man, it, it felt like they were doing a whole lot more heavy lifting than really in, in hindsight they actually did. But I'm curious, what's, what's, your, what's your choice here and, and how do you, what do, you, do you agree that it's the, the, the Tony Elliott hire? Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly the, the top of the list in terms of most important things that happen, right? Because just the impact that can have. Um, I kind of agree with what you just said about Bronco and his uh, era of UVA football. Like um, I think it was certainly an improvement over what was going on before um, and a steady climb. And they did some things that they just seemed more disciplined, um, which was like, it felt like a big change. They were more fun to watch, um, which I think is something that is a big part of it. Like it's not just wins and losses. It's like, you know, I'd rather like, I'd rather be like maybe seven and five with like a fun team than eight and four with like a team that wins 16, 13 every week. Um, and you know, I, I think but that you they, watch UVA basketball, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're not going to talk too much about them, <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, normally we normally around this time, we're like skipping through football to get to basketball, but yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, the Tony Elliott era, starting i mean i think that's the the most important thing and i think um 
you can't discount Broncos like consistency, I guess you could say like they were consistently around 500. Um, they went, they got five straight bowl bids or they could have gone to five straight bowl games. Um, like that, that's not something that UVA was doing before really. So, I mean, like, I'm not going to say it can't get worse because it can. Um, but I think that the Tony Elliott hire could end up raising the ceiling for what this program is. Like, I mean, I think ultimately he could get more talent here. Um, and he seems like a pretty sharp dude. And if he gets a good staff in and there's buy-in from the university donors, whoever, then things can go forward. Um, Cause I think they're building on something, but yeah, I mean, for the year at large that I would say the coaching search in general was crazy um, that like week or so. And the other thing that kind of sticks with me from this year is the three or four days of chaos around UVA getting bounced from the ACC basketball yes, tournament for yes, COVID and then really going into the end, like us not knowing if they were going to go, wondering who tested positive, flights, trying to see, you know, if there are any flights going to Indianapolis. They get there, they have to test again. It's like, are they going to be able to play? Then they finally get on the court and they immediately lose. <laughs> so did um, all that work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like all that. And then they lost their first game. So, which is kind of understandable considering how that week went, but it really kind of felt like they were starting to turn a corner going into that ACC tournament. Right. I mean, they were, they were kind of on a little bit of a hot streak. And then I even, I, I completely forgot just now about the Beekman buzzer beater yeah. in Greensboro. Yeah. Um, it was in Greensboro, right? Not Charlotte. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, right. and then obviously, and, and they were set up, I mean, they were playing Georgia tech the next night, a very winnable game. They'd already beaten them twice. If they go out and win that one, they're in the ACC championship game, like, you know, and, and the whole view of the basketball season might've been a little different if they go win the ACC title and then get like a three seed and, you know, go from there. Um, but that's not what happened. But I just remember the chaos around that and whether, you know, they were even going to be able to pull off the tournament and all that stuff. Um, you know, and, and the COVID basketball season is certainly going to stick with me. You know, there were a lot of cancellations um, and stuff getting moved around and guys missing games, but they got through it. Football was largely unaffected. Um, but obviously we're still dealing with it now because I mean, UVA's bowl game was supposed to be today and it didn't get it played because of COVID. So um on to 2022, where I'm sure everything will be great. <laughs> where, where I'm sure nothing. The, the, the. I'm sure it'll all be fine, and I'm sure it'll all be fine. Um, I, I think I just, I just want to, um, you know, I, I, I want to touch on the, the, the uncertainty in those days, and um, at the end of the ACC tournament, that was, that was probably as, as weird uh, a time, just because it just felt like there was pending doom everywhere, and somehow or another they actually made it work, and then they played, and then they lost. Like that whole thing was just, I mean, maybe, maybe the idea that Dex was going to be the new coach and having written a whole thing and, and Damon's talked to like 50 players <laughs> about it. And then it all unravels the way it did. Like maybe that's, you know, somewhere in that same sort of uh, vicinity, but um, man, that was, that was a strange, you know, few days. Um, and what's funny is, you know, considering to your point, you know, that the bowl game just got canceled and everything. And there's so many other bowl games and so many basketball games that have been canceled here recently and everything because of the surge. Um, it is kind of crazy to think like in when Ferber and I, <laughs> when, Ferber, when Ferber and I were in uh, Greensboro for the 2020 ACC tournament and, and the everything changed, right. Which is still legitimately the weirdest night of my life. Um, I mean, it was like Rudy Gobert touched the microphone and, you know, games were, you know, fans weren't coming back yeah. to ACC tournament and Tom Hanks had COVID and it was just like, what is happening? Right. Um, 
you know, I thought then like we'd be good by the fall, and then that didn't happen. And then like in the fall, I was like, oh, well, we'll we were talking about like we were talking about maybe they can still play the NCAA tournament. Yeah, right. <laughs> like in, you like, know, in like yeah, a few weeks. weeks. Yeah, you know. Um. So then, you know, we thought, like, oh, it'd be good in the fall. And they're like, okay, it'll be fine in spring. And then it was in, you know, spring. You're like, well, that'd be good in the fall. Well, we kind of all, we were until we got to winter. And then it sort of changed. So, I mean, obviously at some it point. It felt like COVID kind of went away during football season. It did. It kind of I mean, did. like we, it was going on, obviously, but like you didn't hear anything about no, it. No, you didn't. Until like because, the last like few weeks or so. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, you know, sort of understandable in some ways, but. Um, well, that a lot of that for UVA has to do with the fact that they had such a high vac. They had a hundred percent vaccination yeah. rate or close, so like they they didn't have to test really. And I don't think. I and honestly, I mean, we're fifty minutes in, so I can I can I I and I'm not trying to get into like a whole like conversation about it, but like, um, not with y'all. You're you're fine. It's everybody else. Um, I don't know if football teams really worried about the booster. Like, once it became a thing, I don't think they were as worried about kids getting boosted as maybe they should have been. Well, Omicron um, came around at like the worst possible time right. for bowl games and stuff, right. because like they didn't have enough warning to do anything about it, but it also had a time to like spread quick enough to where like enough people would have it. And you um, know, a lot of those teams were gone during that period of time. Right. Or, you know, it's prime like, Hey, bring it back with you sort of season. But and it's not like people were in the protocols that they were in last fall where people right, were like exactly. not in meetings and things like that. So, yeah, they were going about living their UVA life. UVA like went to like a movie or something. Like, yep. and then it was I, when I saw that, I was like, because uh, <laughs> games were already kind of starting to get canceled and stuff. Yeah, well, it certainly, uh, it certainly did, you know, come roaring back and uh, become a, a major part of the storyline. And as we go to next year, it will obviously be a conversation piece for the basketball program. Um, you know, I asked Tony Bennett at the end of um, after the Clemson game, like, you know, where, what the status was. And he said, you know, guys are vaccinated and boosted and stuff. So I guess we'll see how that develops um, going forward. But anyway, um, I think that's a good place to wrap up, not just this show, but all of the shows in 2021. If you are somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, you can look us up on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your programs. Hopefully we are there. And if we're not, please let me know. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod, you have not given us a look at the website yet, you can check us out, CavsCorner.com. Uh, I mentioned uh, Damon's pressing questions that are facing Tony Elliott this season. Um, he had a, a nice breakdown of sort of like why the history is not really on UVA's side as the new year approaches on the on the basketball front. He talked to Wilson and, and Twitty about Hagen's coming back. Um, he did a retrospective on Bronco. Um, and then, of course, obviously the bowl game and them opting out. So lots to read going forward as well. Um you can also visit myperfectfranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. My thanks to them for their support of the show and of the podcast, or I mean of the website. Uh, and yeah, one more year under the books. I want to thank everybody out there for support, their support for this show, for the pod, for the website, for us, whatever, all year long. And uh, I just realized I never told anybody where Dave was. He's on special assignment. Um, <laughs> I want to thank... Uh, for Damon for giving graciously their time as always I very much appreciate it that always happens whenever Dave, Dave's not on the show I don't know why that happens but anyway for Justin Ferber, Damon Dublin, I'm Brad Franklin publisher of CapScore.com thanks for coming out, we'll see you soon